0: It's my privilege to introduce you this morning, uh, Reverend Watson Jones III. First, it's just one of the great names that I've ever known. And I had uh, the privilege of getting to know him before he was Reverend Watson Jones. In fact, I I knew him as a freshman at Trinity International University and heard a bit of a, a phenomenal story of a young man growing up on the south side of Chicago who had come to know the Lord in a miraculous, wonderful way, and it had transformed his life, pulling him out of the the normal pattern of drugs and and gang life in Chicago, and that he had gone right back in and started Bible studies right in that same community. The courage was always something that I thought about as I heard that. Um, I've really been looking forward to having Watson come and be here among us. When I was president at Trinity, We had, and I've mentioned it several times, a a racial crisis on campus where we evacuated all of our students of color to try to get them to safety for a while. While they were away, I heard about this group, dozens and dozens of students, also including seminary students, who were gathering for prayer and Bible study and found out it wasn't a seminary student, but one of our um, undergrads who was gathering them and pulling them uh, together, together with the, the captain of the basketball team. And that was uh, Watson Jones. And when we dealt with some of the difficult issues with the media, he was there standing alongside of me. He was a business major at the time. Since the call of God to go into ministry, went on to seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and then finished that by heading up the ethnic diversity uh, side of our very diverse uh, university. And in more recent years, has been on the pastoral staff of one of the largest and most significant churches in the Midwest, uh, Salem Church on the south side of Chicago where he gives leadership to children and students' uh, ministry there, but is also deeply involved, as he's always been, within the community and bringing the gospel and the beautiful implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to the community that is there. So, Watson, I am just so glad to have you here. I'm so glad to have you here. I I love to call you my friend and uh, hope that you'll feel the welcome of God here among our people. So if you would welcome Brother Watson Jones as he comes to open God's Word to us.
1: Oh, I got it. Hallelujah. What a blessing it is to be uh, with you guys today. And let me tell you, uh, you have a great pastor. And you can clap for that too. You, uh, your pastor... This may shock you. Your pastor is a Christian. And I know some of you are saying, well, obviously, you're stating the obvious. He's a pastor. Why wouldn't he be a Christian? But uh, your pastor, as the president of the university, let me tell you, how many of you all in college had the opportunity to know your president? Let me see your hand. Okay. Most of you didn't. All right. For the four who raised their hand, five. I saw one over here. Dr. Waybright made it his business to get to know people. And, and he didn't, you know, just get to know a group and forget others. Dr. Waybright went out of his way to know me and to know who I was, who was my mother, where did I grow up, what's, you know, what was it like in Chicago, aside from the cold weather, which everyone's complaining, this is cold. I, I don't think this is cold at all, but that's another story. Uh, your, your pastor took time to know me. And and for that I'm very grateful. And and I say he's a, he's a he's a wonderful man of God. He's a great husband, great father, and he's a great pastor. He loves this church, and you guys are so blessed to have him. So if if I can ask you, give God a hand of praise for your pastor. I heard somebody whistle over there. They whistle. Now, on the flip side of it, I'm excited to be asked by him to come but there is a sense of nervousness that comes with this because he was the president of my university. And so if I don't handle this word right, he might go back to my professors and say, hey, mark this dude's GPA down. And, uh, and so, you know, but praise the Lord. <laughs> Anyhow, so some of you may be wondering why in the world would, and I'm, I'm sorry, Rabbi, for the word I'm going to use here. Why would this man choose this obscure prophet that many of us are trying to find in the bible right now as we speak so let me give you a few seconds to look for Haggai please if you if you can you can turn to the first page in your bible it's very spiritual to do that uh, because it's in your bible the table of contents and you will find Haggai and the page number and you'll be right there or or if you are advanced, pull out your ipad and uh, click Haggai and and it'll go directly there for you while we're looking I want to pray and then we can get right to it. When you got it, say got it. I'm not going to read it again, but we're going to reference it quite a bit. So when you got it, say got it. All right, amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to, to be with your people here at Lake Avenue. God, I thank you for the calm, the peaceful spirit that I sense among your people. Thank you for the mosaic that sits before me, people of all walks of life, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different nationalities, different countries represented right before me. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing here in the life of this church as it reaches to Pasadena and in the surrounding areas. Lord, I pray, God, that as we enter this time where you speak to us, I pray, God, that our hearts would hear what you're saying to your church. Let us, Lord, respond appropriately. I pray, God, that you let me decrease, that you might increase, so that at the end of the day, you will look good, and you will receive maximum glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you can, we're going to talk a bit, okay? Turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Today, we are going to learn you got to get excited with this. Kingdom priority versus my priority. Turn to the person next to you. And some of y'all say, man, I, you know, that person is kind of mean today. They ain't had their coffee yet. <laughs> but if they're mean, bind that spirit in Jesus' name and say, neighbor, are you living by kingdom priority? Look this way. This young man, a descendant of a Slavic immigrant, this young man had charm. He had a promising future with the loud, resounding message of change. So don't think it's Barack Obama because I said he was from a Slavic immigrant. Promising to end business as usual in state government. This young politician defeated the thin Republican Illinois Attorney General Jim Ryan by 52%, by a 52% vote, making this young man Illinois' 40th governor. And so on January 13, 2003, this young man began his first day in office as the governor of Illinois. This guy is known for flamboyant, flamboyant dress. I mean, I admire when I see him on, or saw him on TV how well he tied his ties. I mean, it just looked fascinating. This young man is known for his flamboyant dress, and many of us know this flamboyant dresser, this larger-than-life Elvis Presley, like governor, by his gorgeous hair. But to many of us in the great state of Illinois, we know him by Rob Lagojevich, Or to many of us here, a name that we still can't pronounce. That's all right. While Rob Legoyevich was governor, he did some great things. An example of one, he set in motion a plan called Kids Care. Now give you a background here. I'm from Chicago, the south side of the city. I live in one of the poorest areas in Chicago. My church is in one of the poorest areas in Chicago called Roseland. And this kids' care program made it possible for kids in the state of Illinois to all of them have access to health insurance. It's a big deal in my neighborhood and a few neighborhoods like mine. But it wasn't long until Rod Blagojevich was accused of following the footsteps of his predecessor, George Ryan by doing business as usual. So much so that in 2005, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, known as the FBI, launched an investigation on him for corruption. And this investigation actually led to 15 uh, convictions, by the way, one of which is Tony Rezgo. name some of y'all probably I have no clue who that is, but that's all right. So at 6.15 a.m. December 9, 2008, Rob Lagoevich was arrested and charged for bribery, most notably for trying to sell Senator or now President Barack Obama's Senate seat. After being impeached, tried, retried and found guilty of "get this," 17 counts of corruption, Rob Legojeevich went from being governor to now a man who's facing 14 years in prison. Now 30 years, we sit 30 days before he is set to show up for jail, and we are left with one conclusion about this man's life. None of us in the state of Illinois remember any of the other things that he did aside from things that we benefit from, like kids' care. We don't remember the legislation he made for education or, or whatever. We will always remember this guy, and many of us know him because this man was charged with the great responsibility of setting priority to governing the state of Illinois, to taking care of the Illinoisans. But rather he chose to put himself over the task that he was entrusted to. Now before we become very sanctimonious and say, woe is he, there is me, and I'm not him, so good for him... There is a Rod Blagojevich in all of us. We all can, if we really examine ourselves, be found guilty of doing the same thing day in and day out. That is setting the priority of ourselves over the mission that Jesus Christ has saved us for. We've been put here, and Jesus Christ has done some great things. He died for us, and he's brought us out of lives of sin. And, and some of y'all know where you used to be. Some of y'all know exactly where you were when you met Jesus. He, he's called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. We sing great songs about it. And we have reduced the faith of Christianity to being just about my prayer life. Lord, if I can just make sure my kids know you, if I can just make sure I I can climb the ladder of success, I'll say it in Jesus' name. But we have made a a mistake in placing what we want always over what God wants. God is saying to us today, you were saved for a reason. (laughs) The Spirit of the Lord is upon his church, not so we can shout and jump and sing great songs, but so that we could lose some shackles on some people, to touch the lives of folks. And while we continue to live our lives thinking about ourselves, we continue to lose our grasp on society. The statistics are interesting when you read about how many people go to church on any given Sunday. I was just in Philadelphia about a month ago, a city that's not larger than L.A., not larger than Chicago or New York. But can I tell you the statistic, what the statistics say on the number of people that go to church every week? 8%. 8%. 81 to 94% of the population of Philadelphia go to church no Sunday on any given Sunday. 75% of them want nothing to do with the church. And I bet I can make an argument to say that that can be the case in many major cities across the country. We have to ask ourselves, God, are we putting ourselves over the mission that you have called us to? So the point I want you to take home with today before we get to the word is this. Christ is most pleased when we resist the temptation to place our priorities over his. Let me say it again. Christ, if you want to know how to please God, More than singing so beautifully, and I hear some great voices in here, Christ is most pleased when we place his priority over ours. So what's going on here? God's people were coming out of something that was traumatic, the exile. And God was saying to his people, look, I want you to rebuild this thing here. The city that you're from, first start by rebuilding the walls. I mean, after all, if you didn't have walls for a city, didn't matter what you rebuilt because the surrounding people would take your stuff. Didn't matter how nice your house, they would take your house. They would take your crops. So God says, rebuild the walls. But then he says, rebuild my temple. So they began to build the temple They face some opposition, and it is interesting that sometimes when we face opposition, when we're doing the things of God, we oftentimes back from the very thing that God is calling us to do. They face some opposition. Twenty years later, all they got to show for their work is the foundation. Twenty years later, there is no temple, but they have houses that look nice. And God speaks through his prophet Haggai. He wants them to examine their priorities, to see the consequences of putting theirs over God's and to see what God does when God's priorities are placed over theirs. So let's get to it quickly. The first thing I believe that the Spirit is saying to us from this text is we need to examine our priorities. Let's hit the text real quick. Verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people, and I think it's interesting that he doesn't start by saying my people. The fact that he says this people indicates that there is a distance between him and his own people. Let me say this. Anytime we get off point and start to think of ourselves over God's work, there becomes a distance there. Don't think that just because you've made success doing your own thing over him that that God is necessarily on that. He may have been kind to you just so he could say, all right, I'm going to give some more rope. So maybe they will say God is good to me and maybe they'll turn. It shows some distance there. He says, my people are using an excuse of saying the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And he comes back and says, verse 4, but is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lasts desolate? Now you need to understand the issue here with the temple. Okay, the temple was beyond what we understand a church to be. And this is a beautiful building, by the way. It's, it's a beautiful building. But the temple means more than what we see a church as. If, if this building was torn down tomorrow, it would hurt us. Yes, it would, but, but we are the people of God. And the Spirit is where, wherever more, two or more gather in his name. Jesus says, I promise to be in the midst. So the church building doesn't even really understand even the temple. The temple was the place, get this, where God decided to make his name known in the earth. I don't know about you, but I'm so excited that we serve a God who desires to be around jacked up, messed up, no good people. And you can act like that ain't you today, but I'm so glad that he loves me enough to say I want to make my dwelling amongst people who don't even think about me sometimes. So the temple was the place where God said, I will dwell but it's the place where they would worship him. They would bring their sacrifice to him. And, and if ever they were in sin and they needed to turn, they could look to this place and say, hey, God, forgive me. And he would hear. If they were ever in trouble getting jacked up by the enemy, they could turn to the temple and say, God, give me some help here. And he would get help. But get this. The temple wasn't just for the people. But if the alien said, hey, I want to know God, he can find him at the temple. And so, for them not to build the temple, said, God, we're not even bringing you in this place. God says, You're using a silly excuse of it not being time. Because really, you've lost the urgency. You've lost the seriousness of this task of building this temple. He says, But is it cool that my stuff lays in ruins, but yours is paneled? Let's see, let me explain what this means here. We go to somebody's house. If I walk in their front door, they got marble on the floor. They got a marble toilet, marble ceilings. I mean, that will make a house very heavy. It might fall, but marble ceilings, gold everywhere. Are you going to think that person's poor? Yes or no? Speak back. Speak back. Yes or no? No. Wood was something that just didn't grow in people's front yard. They actually had to go get that. And so the fact that He's pointing out that your houses are paneled, but mine is jacked up. Says that you've used the resources that I've given you to build my house only to make yourself look good. And the people of God, here it was, they were sensing that these are uncertain times. And so I must put stock in making sure I'm secure and making sure I'm comfortable. Many of us have made our lives about pursuing degrees, and these things are not bad, but pursuing degrees and climbing that ladder and getting in relationships and, and let me find stuff that's good for me. We have adopted an attitude of my while not expanding God's presence in the world. Can I tell you something that may shock you, may make you not like me? God loves Sinners. Turning and say, neighbor, God loves sinners. Let me tell you how I know, because He loves me, because He loves you, and God wants His people to be about His business, to make His presence known, to be His hands and feet amongst the lonely neighbor on your block. To be the hands and feet amongst the game bangers who stand on the corners from here. To be his hands and feet in your family of people who don't even know Jesus. He's saying, Will you shift your priority from your stuff, your my attitude to my kingdom agenda? So he says, Examine your, your priorities. But then Haggai shows us something, which is something for us. He says, the pursuing of our own priorities leads to unfulfillment. Say it with me. Leads to unfulfillment. I ain't hearing nobody, but that's okay. <laughs> Let's hit the text. Verse 5, he says, therefore, because of you shifted your priorities, consider your ways. He says, you have sown much, but you harvest little. In other words, you plant a lot of crops and you bring nothing home, but there's not enough to be satisfied. He says, you drink, but there's not enough to become drunk or to be filled. He says, you put on clothes so you can be warm, like many of us did today, with scarves and long johns. I didn't understand that, actually. I was like, it's warm to be warm, but he says, no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages and puts it in a purse with holes. (laughs) They're doing things that seem logical. You plant a garden expecting what? Crops. They're planting a garden and they're getting nothing for it. You eat food. Do you expect to be full when you eat? No or yes? Yes, no? You drink water expecting to be what? Things that seemed logical were not yielding the fruits that they expected it to. In other words, they were throwing themselves to a lot of stuff that was good, but got no satisfaction from the things that they were throwing themselves to. I went to a beach in Chicago, and I know some of y'all are saying, that ain't no real beach. We live on the ocean where we got sharks and jellyfish. Y'all got garbage in your lake. <laughs> went to the beach one day. I see a young man, a little boy, saying, Daddy, Daddy, let's build a sandcastle. And now I know says y'all live off the beach, sandcastles, I mean, everybody in this room is probably a professional sandcastle builder. <laughs> he says, Daddy, I want to build a sandcastle. He says, well, son, in order to build a sandcastle, you need sand, but you also need what? Water. The young boy gets excited. He says, yes, I'm going to get the water, Daddy. I'm going to make this happen. And the first thing he grabs is a basket. And he goes to run to Lake Michigan. And he dips the basket in the water. And he runs back. And he says, only drips are coming out. Okay, all right. Let's figure this out again. So he runs back. And he grabs water. And he runs back. and, and, And he tries to drop it in the sand. And drips come out. This is Daddy. I thought we needed water. I'm exerting myself, I'm working hard, I'm running in Chicago's hot sun, which ain't nothing on California's, but... I'm running in the humidity, I'm getting tired, and the water is gone. He said, son, you've worked hard, but you ain't got no water to show for the work you're doing. There are many of us today that have done things that seem logical. We pray, we read our scriptures, we go to church... We pursue education, we pursue jobs, we build our savings, but we have nothing to show for our toil. And there are some of us today that are lacking peace in our lives, lacking fulfillment after we've chased things that seem important to us, but less important to God. He says, You have no toil. And when these things happen, like normal people, you begin to ask, why? God, why are you not giving me crops? Why don't I sense peace? And I'm calling on you day in and day out. Why aren't you speaking to me like you did three years ago? God, why don't I feel joy in being a part of the church? He says, you know what? I'm the cause of this. Let's, let's look at a, let's look at verse number nine. He says, you look for much. Behold, it comes to little, and when you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord, because my house lies desolate while each of you runs to his own home. God says, I'm the cause of why you got no fulfillment. I'm the cause. Now, let me say something here. There are two types of trials, three really. There are trials that you face that just come from life. You keep living you will watch loved ones pass. Life. There are trials that come from you being a Christian. There are things that come to you because you are a Christian. And that's supposed to be that way. Shame on anybody who tells you that just because you're a Christian, you're never supposed to see hard times. In fact, if our master can suffer, we're going to suffer. But then there are trials that come from disobedience. And, And what happens when you're sitting in a place and the person that you love hurts you? Dr. Waybright didn't mention this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think if I was to live a different life, the Lord would have wanted me to be a musician. Because I love music. In fact, I'm envious of those who are up here playing today. I love Kenny G, okay? I like Kenny G, and I know some of y'all are saying he's not a musician. I love Kenny G. I like Sting. Oh, you know, rock artist, you know, rock guy now who's gone classical. I love Sting's music. I mean, he writes lyrics that are so poetic and beautiful and, and, I mean, just tells a great story. And he gets them from very obscure books that many of us have never even touched. And so I could be in my car driving, and, and you know, I remember driving one day, and, and I'm just vibing along. Roxanne, yeah, I'm singing along. And I'm feeling the Lord minister to me by Sting's music. And my wife looked over to me and said, I can't stand him. Now, I said, surely, lady, you must have lost it. What are you saying? I can't stand Steve. He is so arrogant. He's cocky. And he just sucks as a musician. (laughs) Three blasphemous things that you could say to me. Now... You guys can say, you know, Watson, you are not cool for listening to that. That don't even make sense. First of all, you're a black dude from the south side of Chicago. It makes no, difference, makes no sense. You live in the hood, and that's what you bumping. That, that makes no sense. You could say, I'm not cool, and guess what? I'm going to sleep well on my plane ride. I'm not even going to give it no thought. <laughs> but when my wife said that, my feelings were hurt. I was considering buying her a ticket to the concert with me. Because in my heart, I couldn't understand how someone who knows me so well, who's supposed to look out for my best interest, can hurt me. And so the people of God are saying, if God really loves me, why would he send me down this road? Why is it that I can't even make a living for myself if he really loved me? God, you've sown me the wrong end of the stick. What happens when we come to a point and God is the cause of what we're dealing with? How does it make us feel? Makes us feel like we can't trust him. But let me tell you this. God disciplines those whom he loves. That may not ever make a worship song. You may not ever hear anybody say, God, I love you because you love me because you whooped me. Ain't nobody going to say it because it's not a good song. But God is in control and he says, I will punish my people at times to get them on the right page. And maybe God has you in the place you are because he wants you to think about your priorities and maybe say, I have placed everything, including myself, over what you've wanted. I've made my life about going to church and leaving it to 20% of the church to do the ministry while I go home and pad myself and build a new flat screen TV for my toilet. God is saying you have no peace, you have no fulfillment because... You have shifted your priorities. The third thing he says, he shows us this. Pursuing God's kingdom leads to God's peaceful presence and peaceful push. Let me look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, go up to the mountains. Bring wood, rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and glorified, says the Lord. Now, many of us, God tells us to do something. we got to pray and fast on whether or not we should do it. Lord, I need, to, I need you to give me clarity on should I make this decision, even though he spoke it clearly and said make this decision. <laughs> verse 9 says, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 12 says... Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, then Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnants of the people. Guess what they did? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord has sent him. And the people showed the Lord reverence. They heard God speak like the Spirit speaking now. They didn't pray and fast and give it time to say, God, what do you want me to do? They heard it. And they obeyed it. We have got to shift from information disciples that just gather and take information and hear things that are great but never follow up on it. The scripture says, blessed are those who are a doer of the word, not just a hearer. God speaks and he, in, he expects immediate reaction. He say, jump, you say how high? He says, go, you say how far? He said, turn, consider. And they did. But verse 13 says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by commission of the Lord to the people saying, I am with you. See, they faced opposition when they were trying to build the temple. But now that they decided to build the temple, the Lord said, I'm with you. You get strength. When you know that someone more powerful than you is with you, helping you to do it. When I, cre- when I screamed and cried as a boy at night with a nightmare, my mother didn't come in and turn the lights on and say, all right, baby, get up and go play. She left them lights off, but she came in and rocked me to sleep. The darkness didn't change, but the atmosphere did because my mama was there with me. The God that we serve is greater and bigger than anything you will ever face. He is bigger than your fears. He is bigger than your doubts. And if that God promises to be with you in your obedience, that ought to give you joy in your heart and strength to move forward. So he promises his peaceful presence. But then he gives them a peaceful push. And And I'm almost done, I promise you. Verse 14, so the Lord stirred up, I'm stirred up, the spirit of Zerubbabel and all the rest of the people. They were obedient, they said, God, okay, this is what you want. I see the error of my ways, I'm turning, I'm doing different. That's what repenting means, it means to turn and do different. I'm going to go turn, I'm going to do different, I'm going obey you. God said, I'm with you, but then he stirred their spirits. Now this stirring comes from an idea of as if they were asleep before. It literally says to to arouse them from their sleep. The day we make the decision to obey God and say, hey, I'm going to be Jesus to some people on my block, on my job, at the school I work at, wherever I am, I'm going to be Jesus there. God will stir your passions where you feel the pain of the loss. And will make you say, hey, I got to get a sense of urgency about doing what he's called me to do. God is calling for us as Christians, you, me included, to say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I know that I focused on me more than your agenda. And I'm going to do differently now. He is calling for us to be radical. And I know in some people's head that that rings a whole slew of negative things. But he's calling us to say, hey, I'm going to do what's necessary to bring people to Christ. I'm going to take my people. You don't have to go to the drug dealer necessarily first. But God is saying there are people on your block who are lonely. There are people in your neighborhood who are sad and no one comes to visit them. There are people who are in the hospitals that are sick and need to see a friend. God is calling for his church to say, hey. I will be Jesus where Jesus is not. I will be his hands and his feet. I will touch those who need to be touched. And let me tell you why. Because Christ is most pleased when we resist the temptation to put our priorities over his. In Jesus' name.